What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Combo. So I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and today we are recording probably the most important episode in this show's brief history because Russell Westbrook is an L.A. Clipper. Now, I always put a lot of time and effort into researching stats and other things to talk about on this podcast, but I have never actually put as much effort into a show as I have put into this episode here tonight. And that's why it's coming out a little bit later than usual, because I wanted to make sure I broke down this Russell Westbrook move from every possible angle, looking at every possible metric that is relevant to this Clippers team and really his overall fit to this Clippers team. I wanted to be fair to him. I wanted to be fair to the fan base, uh, be fair to Paul George, who really wanted his friend on the team and approach this from a completely impartial stance because that's really where I am on all of this. I am trying to deliver an impartial stance on what is a very polarizing player and a very polarizing move that the Clippers made. So to start things off, I just want to get into my own thoughts on Russell Westbrook because if you followed me for a long time, you might not be exactly sure where I stand on him as a player. To be completely honest, he was one of my favorite players in the entire NBA when I was a kid. I mean, I was a massive Russell Westbrook fan as a kid. And if you're around my age, you probably understand why. He was the man when we were growing up. I was born in 2000, so by the time I started watching the NBA, I was about 9, 10 years old. Really from like 2010 uh, up until Russ left the Oklahoma City Thunder, he was one of the most exciting players in the entire NBA. He was so much fun to watch, even though the Clippers had some real battles with those OKC teams and were knocked out of the playoffs by OKC in 2014. That Katie and Russ duo was one of my favorites around the league. I even have an OKC Thunder hat somewhere in my house because I was a big hat guy when I was a kid. And whenever I was a fan of a certain player, you know, I liked another team that wasn't the Clippers. I would always try to show some support in that way by getting a hat. I have an OKC hat somewhere up in my garage because uh, I loved Russ that much as a kid. I was a massive fan of him. And even uh, once KD left, and Russ had that MVP season, um, you know, and he was kind of getting a lot of hate for the triple-double thing. That was really when people started to talk about it and talk about it as stat padding. I never saw it that way. Uh, I always subscribe to the idea that if anybody could do it or if everybody could do it, they would. Um, and he was one of those guys who was doing unprecedented things. So I was a massive Russell Westbrook fan growing up. But if you've kind of seen my tone change on him over the last several seasons, that was solely related to one thing, and it was his Pat Bev trick y'all comments. You guys know, as big of a fan as I am of anybody else, uh, I'm really only a bigger fan uh, of Blake Griffin than I am of Patrick Beverly. He is my second or third favorite player of all time. I absolutely love Pat Bev. Uh, if you follow me for any amount of time, you know that. He means more to me than, I mean, really – um, anybody else, like I said, outside of Blake, just because of, of the encouragement he gave me uh, back before the pandemic when I had a chance to meet him at the convention center. I had him sign an article that I wrote. Ironically enough, it was about the Pat Bev trick y'all comments and, and, uh, and kind of breaking down that narrative. He gave me a ton of encouragement, told me to DM him uh, the article, and I did, and we talked a little bit. Um, and I've just supported him since then, before then, but I've really started supporting him uh, as a diehard Pat Bev fan since that moment. 
So when Russ had those Pat Bev trick y'all comments, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And anytime those two went up against each other, I was always rooting for Bev to, you know, get the the better of Russ in those matchups and have a bigger impact on the game. And a lot of the times he did, and I would tweet that out. And even when they became teammates on the Lakers, there were those reports about, you know, the, the Lakers were going to start Bev over Russ. Some people thought they might even send Russ home. And I relished in that a little bit as well because of some of the comments Russ had made about Bev and then, you know, Bev coming to the Lakers and maybe taking his spot. That was something that I uh, certainly enjoyed at the time. But now looking back on it, that was kind of ridiculous because those guys ended up becoming great friends. And Pat Bev said that's his brother for life. So if my main problem with Russ was his Pat Bev trick y'all comments and now him and Bev are close, even after the fact that both of them have been traded, there is zero reason for me to dislike Russell Westbrook. That was my only problem with him after being a major fan of his as a kid. I just didn't like the fact that he had that to say about one of my favorite players of all time. And pretty much all of my tweets, all of my negative tweets about Russ were in some way related to those Pat Bev trick y'all comments. If you search up Westbrook with my at and you find any negative Russ tweets, I'm going to say about 99% of them are going to be in some way related to those Pat Bev trick y'all comments. And, you know, the other 1% is just going to be strictly basketball analysis. So that's my own personal experience with Russ as a fan of his and, you know, having an issue with him because of those Pat Bev trick y'all comments. But I am being 100% honest when I say I've been a big fan of this dude throughout the course of his career. And what's funny, too, is that when some of these Laker fans are, you know, I don't don't really think it's the Russ stands doing it as much because they're happy to have the support right now. Um, But Laker fans are looking up, you know, Westbrook's name with my at and finding some of these negative tweets. What's hilarious is that they're having to scroll past several positive tweets that I've made about Russ over the years as well, including tweets defending him from what I think is one of the most ridiculous developments that we've seen over the last several years with whether it be fans or media members trying to discredit Russ's career as a whole because of some poor play over the last several seasons. I remember when he made uh, the NBA's uh, top 75 team, which was very well-deserved. He's certainly probably closer to top 50 even than top 75. You had people saying, well, does he really deserve that? That is ridiculous to me, and I I certainly defended him on Twitter when those takes were flying off. He's a nine-time All-Star, nine-time All-NBA, three-time assist champ, two-time scoring champ, one-time league MVP, absolutely 100% top 75 all time. So if you're going to go look up Westbrook's name with my at, you're going to find tweets like that where I'm defending the dude because like I said, I mean, Pat Bev trick y'all comments aside, that was my guy for a long time. So I'm happy to have him just from a fan element. Um, Obviously I'm a reporter and I'm going to be covering him and that's exciting for me as well, but just strictly the fan in me is excited to have Russell Westbrook on my favorite team because he was one of my favorite players. But with that, comes a lot of cons we know that as well and that's one of the things that I really wanted to get into throughout the course of this podcast was not just talk about my own personal feelings about the dude I mean okay yeah sure that's fun to listen to maybe for five minutes but I mean after that nobody really cares how I feel about Russell Westbrook they want to know what he's going to do for the team what's he going to do for the Clippers how is he going to fit in and I have an extensive list of both pros and cons the pros and cons of signing Russell Westbrook there is an extensive list of cons and there's an extensive list of pros and what it's ultimately going to come down to is can the Clippers put him in a position to maximize those pros 
and limit those cons? And is Russell Westbrook willing to buy into a role that maximizes his pros and limits his cons? Because if that happens, I think there's no reason to have an issue with the move. Although I do understand why some people are skeptical that that would happen because essentially that hasn't really been what Russell Westbrook has done since he's left the OKC Thunder. He's remained in a high usage role and hasn't exactly bought into a smaller one, although he was coming off the bench for the Lakers and did accept that role gracefully and did it well, but that wasn't necessarily a low usage role. He was just coming off of the bench and still playing the same way uh, that he had played in the starting unit. But without getting too far into that, I do want to start with the cons because uh, a lot of them are obvious. A lot of them are glaring, and I think a lot of them uh, have been talked about rightfully so throughout the course of the day. And it starts with his shooting. I mean, we know that he's not a good shooter. He's never been a good three-point shooter. The best three-point percentage he had uh, in his career came in that MVP season when he shot, I believe it was 45% from downtown, or 45, 35% from downtown, excuse me, if only he was shooting 45% from downtown. Yeah, that MVP season, he shot 34.3% from downtown, which was his career high. So he has never been a good three-point shooter, but he has won two scoring titles without being a great three-point shooter. So that never is necessarily needed to be a big part of his game, but his poor shooting actually goes beyond just the three-point percentage. It has been uh, a very disastrous shooting season for Russell Westbrook this year. Let's get into some of the numbers because they are quite glaring. In the restricted area, which is at the rim, he is shooting 57.7% from that spot this season. That is the worst mark in the entire NBA amongst all players with as many attempts from inside that area as Russell Westbrook has this season. So he is essentially the worst finisher in the NBA, at least so far this season. And it doesn't get any better as we move away from the basket because Russell Westbrook this season is shooting 31.9% in the paint, but outside of the restricted area, which is the second worst mark in the NBA amongst all players with at least 100 attempts from that area. And as we move even further back again, it doesn't get any better. Russ is shooting 31.4% in the mid range. That is the worst mark in the entire NBA amongst all players with at least 100 mid range attempts. And as we've already talked about the three point shooting, well, that's very bad as well. 29.6% from deep for Russ, which is the second worst mark in the entire NBA amongst all players with at least 200 attempts from downtown. So it is not hyperbolic to say that so far this season, Russell Westbrook has been quite literally the worst shooter in the entire NBA. And that is concerning. You guys know me. One of the major things that I have said both on this podcast and really throughout my time as an analyst, as a reporter, whatever you want to call me, one of the main things that I have continued to adhere to is that you need a shooter next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in that lead guard role. It is primarily why I was out on so many of the point guard options that the Clippers were rumored to be interested in at the trade deadline because I quite simply did not trust them enough as shooters. And I have reason to believe this. I have reason to feel this way because we've seen it and we've seen it fail. We saw it with Rondo. We saw it with Bledsoe. We saw it with John Wall. None of those guys were good fits next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Of course, Bledsoe never got a chance next to Kawhi, but you saw it next to Paul George because defenses were able to sag off of them 
and send a pair of defenders at either Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. And Kawhi Leonard is very good at passing out of double teams. I think he makes the right decision more times than not. But we have seen Paul George struggle with double teams in his time with the Clippers, specifically this season. He has made some bad decisions with the ball in his hands. When he sees a pair of defenders, his handle has not been all that great this season. His decision-making and his passing out of those double teams has struggled. And that is something that concerns me with Russell Westbrook on the Clippers because as we have seen really throughout the course of his career, not just with the Lakers, teams have put their center on him and just loaded up inside of the paint or loaded up on other players that are on the floor because you don't necessarily have to pay a whole lot of attention to Russell Westbrook when he's out there because of all the shooting numbers that I just broke down. So that is a major concern, especially if he's going to be starting like some of the reports indicate he is going to be doing. So that is certainly a con to keep an eye on. The second one is also pretty obvious, and it's the fact that he is very turnover prone. He has high assist numbers. He is always getting downhill. He drives more than any point guard the Clippers have had uh, really in the Kawhi Leonard to Paul George era, but that oftentimes results in turning the ball over, and that's something that the Clippers have actually done pretty well over the last several weeks. They had struggled with turning the ball over and taking care of the basketball for much of the season. A lot of that had to do with, again, Paul George having high turnover numbers, but over the last few weeks, they have settled down a bit having taken care of the basketball, and then now you're going to be throwing Russell Westbrook into the mix, a guy who has very high turnover numbers and has had very high turnover numbers throughout the course of his career. So that is certainly a concern as well. And the third major con is his defense. We've talked about his poor shooting. We've talked about his turnover issues, but we haven't really seen him defend at a high level with the Lakers. Of course, he's had his moments defensively, but overall, there's been a lot of lapses on that end, uh, a lot of back cuts that he allows. And when you're playing him potentially next to a guy like Marcus Morris, who has a lot of similar defensive issues, or even if you're playing him in the second unit with a guy like Norman Powell, who also has a lot of defensive issues, that is a concern. I believe he has the tools defensively with his strength and his athleticism uh, to be a capable defender, but it's more than just your build that makes you a good defender. As we've seen uh, with so many guys who project to be good defenders because of their strength and because of their athleticism, but don't exactly pan out. A lot of it has to do with your IQ and your anticipation and your effort. All of those things matter defensively just as much as your build and your intangibles in that way. So that's also something to keep an eye on. So as I previewed in the beginning, there is an extensive list of cons. There's no getting around those. I've broken them all down by the data, particularly the shooting. That that one's probably the biggest concern uh, for me because I think the other two, when it comes to the turnovers and the defense, at least some of that can be alleviated by simply locking in. And that's something that I anticipate him doing in this new opportunity. It doesn't fix all of the issues. You don't all of a sudden become a brand new player because you lock in more. But I do think with his defense and his turnovers, the glaring issues with those two things can at least be mitigated to an extent by locking in and buying in. But his shooting, he is in his, how many years is this now for us? Is this year 14 now for him? You're four, yeah, 14 years in the NBA, and he's never been a good shooter. So I don't anticipate that changing. Even with the open looks that he's going to get, he's gotten them his whole career. He's never knocked them down on an efficient clip, so I don't anticipate him to all of a sudden become a sniper. 
And that's my biggest concern when it comes to a lead guard next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So when we go through all of that and we talk about the shooting and we talk about the defense and we talk about the turnovers, you might be saying, well, Joe, end the podcast. End the podcast. What what more is there to talk about? What pros are there that could possibly outweigh all of those cons? Because if we're going to talk about a guy who can't shoot, can't defend, and turns the ball over, what are we even doing at this point? I hear you. I understand you. And you're not necessarily wrong. But like I said, there is an extensive list of cons, and I believe there is an extensive list of pros. And I want to be fair to Russ, and I want to be fair to the Clippers by breaking it down from every single angle. So let's get into the pros and why I think Russell Westbrook actually can make a positive impact on the Clippers, despite all of the cons that are very real and are very glaring. To begin, he is one of the best rebounding guards of all time, if not the best rebounding point guard of all time. He is at 6.2 rebounds per game this season, and that's in a bench role. That immediately puts him second on the Clippers in rebounds per game, tied with Kawhi Leonard only trailing Evita Zubats for the team lead in rebounds per game. Now say what you want about his rebounds, about them being uncontested and about him, you know, stat padding by trying to grab rebounds. I honestly don't care. As long as the rebound is collected, I don't care who gets it. And Russell Westbrook is good at rebounding the basketball. You don't average 7.3 rebounds per game for your career by simply just stealing rebounds from the big. Has that happened at times throughout his career? Can you find instances of him doing that? Sure. Yes, you can, but he is still a very good rebounder, and this is a Clippers team that struggles to rebound the basketball, especially when they go small, which is something I can see them doing with Russell Westbrook on the court. So I'm really excited about his rebounding. I think that is something that is going to help the team significantly because, as I said, he is one of the best rebounding point guards, if not the best rebounding point guard of all time. Now, when it comes to Russ, What is the theoretical major upside with him and why so many teams have sold themselves on the ability for Russell Westbrook to make a positive impact? If you were to ask me, I would say it's his driving. His driving ability is something that had the Houston Rockets change their entire team around him and go five out with guys like P.J. Tucker at the five to allow Russell Westbrook to get downhill and have four shooters around him at all time because he is an all-time great downhill threat. We know that. We have seen that throughout the course of his career. And you might be saying, well, Joey, you just talked about how inefficient he is at finishing at the rim. How is he this now all of a sudden great downhill threat? Well, yes, he is a very poor finisher at the rim. That's both on drives. That's on all types of different plays. He can't finish at the rim. We know that that's probably not going to change. But while he's not in any, well, excuse me, while he's not an efficient scorer on drives, he is a very efficient playmaker on drives. Now, here's some data for you. Amongst all players in the NBA who are averaging at least 15 drives per game, Westbrook's assist percentage ranks second in the entire NBA. And that is on a very bad Lakers team that for much of the season has had historically bad shooting numbers. So Westbrook is driving 15 times per game, which is a pretty high clip, and he is second in the NBA amongst all players with at least 15 drives per game in assist percentage. So he is assisting on a very high percent 
of his drives. And as I just stated, that is on a bad Lakers team that doesn't have half the shooting that this Clippers team has. So that is something to be optimistic about because while he's not finishing well on his drives, he is still assisting well on his drives, and that's on a bad Clippers team. Now, again, there are turnover concerns when it comes to his drives. He does still turn the ball over on a very high percentage of his drives, but you take that when he is assisting on that high of a level as well. So that is something that encourages me about Westbrook as well. A second major pro is his availability. We have seen this Clippers team be one of the most unavailable teams when it comes to their stars in the entire NBA. I mean, every single night we're wondering who's in, who's out. You don't really have to worry about that with Russ. He has been an Iron Man throughout his entire career and still at this stage of his career, he is an Iron Man. He does not miss time. I believe he's only missed three games all season, and that's at age 34. And he takes pride in that. And honestly, that's something I can appreciate because for a guy like that who has won an MVP, has won multiple scoring titles, is nine-time All-NBA, nine-time All-Star, for him to still have that love for the game at this stage in his career with, I mean, honestly, a fan base with the Lakers that couldn't stand him, that would prefer if he sat at home, to still have that love for the game, to go out there and want to be on the floor every single night, that's something that I can appreciate. And quite honestly, I think that's a mentality that this Clippers team could use. Because we have seen throughout the course of this season uh, a pretty lackadaisical approach to the regular season and not really knowing who's going to be out there. And that is for big games as well. So for a guy like Russell Westbrook to be out there on the floor every single night, you know what you're going to get in terms of his availability. That's a pro in my book. And that's even with, you know, I already got the comments of people saying, well, Joey, would be better if he wasn't available because he's not any good. Listen, if he's going to be on the team and he's going to have a role on the team, you want him out there because that builds chemistry, that builds continuity, and it builds trust in his teammates. And that's something that I'm excited about for Russell, uh, for Russell Westbrook. Another major pro in my book, and, and this one is not as uh, based in stats as you guys know I, I like to base my opinions in, but I do think it matters, and that's his friendship with Paul George. Now, people have laughed about it over the last several weeks, starting from when PG talked about Russ initially in the locker room about how PG always wants his friends on the team, and I do think there's a, a legitimate gripe with that. Um, but when it comes to Russell Westbrook, he is coming off of a situation, as I just mentioned, where the fans were completely hostile to him and his family. I mean, he he spoke openly about not wanting to bring his kids to games because of some of the things that Lakers fans were saying to both him and his family. So that's the situation that he's coming from. So to come into a new situation where you're still at home, you're still around your family, and you're joining one of your great friends in Paul George and the Clippers already have had other players like Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum talk about welcoming Russ with open arms. Kawhi Leonard reportedly was part of the meeting with Paul George, so I'd assume he's on board too. You have a locker room that's accepting you. He knew the whole time while he was in LA that LeBron was trying to trade him. He's known that for two years now, that he wasn't wanted. By the fans, by the front office, by his teammates. Guys, this stuff matters. This stuff really does matter. Now, do I think it's going to change him to be a completely different player than he's been throughout the course of his career? No. But do I think he could elevate his play from where it was for much of his time with the Lakers? I do. Call me naive, but I do. I truly believe that. 
We saw it with Nicholas Batum. We saw it with Reggie Jackson. We have seen it with other players on the Clippers already who were written off, thought about retiring, came into a spot that they were wanted, and they completely changed the narrative on their careers. Now, I understand why some people are skeptical that that could happen with Russell Westbrook, but I'm optimistic that it can. And perhaps that's blind optimism. Perhaps I'm being naive. But with everything that he went through with the Lakers, being in a situation where he wasn't wanted by anybody there, and then now coming into a spot where the Clippers are already advocating, I mean, they're damn near tampering to get him to come, I think that's something that could really help him. And I'm excited for him for that very reason. So we'll see what happens, but I truly believe that's a major pro and something that isn't being discussed enough. So while I understand all of the cons, I mean, guys, I, I spent half this podcast talking about the cons and you can't ignore them. They're glaring. And, and to be quite honest with you, some of them could be fatal. Some of those cons, some of those flaws that Westbrook has, they can absolutely be fatal if Ty Lue overplays him. But that leads me into my very next point. He is on a veteran minimum deal with no guarantee for next season. If he is overplayed, that's on nobody but Ty Lue. He is not guaranteed anything beyond this season, and he shouldn't be guaranteed anything this season as well. He is not making $47 million like he was with the Lakers. The Clippers don't have an obligation to try to make him work in this third star role like he had with the Lakers. It is a completely different situation. If he is overplayed and his flaws are able to derail the Clippers, I truly think that is much more on Ty Lue and on the coaching staff than it is on Russell Westbrook. Because as we've seen these last two games post-trade deadline, the Clippers look good. They look like they have enough. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many fans are out on the Russ move because they're confused why they would now throw in this huge new factor into a group that already looked to be starting to gel together and, and play well together. But I think what that also tells me is that the Clippers have enough without Russ. So if now all of a sudden he's not performing well and he's hurting the team and yet he continues to get minutes, that's not on him. That's on the coaching staff. That's on whoever's making those decisions to continue to throw him out there because he's not coming into a team where they absolutely need him on the floor. He is coming into a team that could use some of his skill sets, that could use some of his strength, that could use his rebounding his playmaking, some of the intangibles that he brings with his mentality. Those are the types of things that he could bring to this team. But if all of a sudden his weaknesses start weighing the team down to a point that it's approaching fatal flaws and the Clippers might actually start losing key games because of that, well, then take him out of the lineup. And if he has a problem with it, then send him home because he's not guaranteed anything beyond this year. That is my ultimate take on the Russell Westbrook situation. I have laid out the cons. I've laid out the pros and I've laid out my ultimate feelings on the dude and the situation he's coming from. And while I completely understand the people who are out on it, I can't fully get behind the idea that it's going to derail the Clippers season the way that some people think it might because the flaws are real, but if they are persistent enough to where they're going to derail the Clippers' season, that is much less on Russ than it is the coaching staff. And if you guys have seen some of the reporting around this whole Russell Westbrook situation, 
it seems as if Ty Lu, Kawhi and PG, the front office, have had an open dialogue with Russ about the fact that his role is not guaranteed, perhaps in the way that it was in other spots, or that it would have been in other spots if he went to a Chicago or a Miami or something like that. We'll have to wait and see. I understand why so many are skeptical with Ty Lue's ability to actually sit him down if need be, because we've seen Ty Lue overplay Reggie this season, overplay Marcus this season, overplay John this season. We have seen Ty Lue do that, and we've seen him be a bit stubborn at times. So I think that's a valid concern. But at the end of the day, we have seen what the reporting is on this whole situation. And as things stand currently, it looks as if a major role is not guaranteed. And if that's the case, I don't think it's time to sound the alarm on Russell Westbrook. It'll come down to Ty Lue, and it'll come down to his ability to optimize his fit on this team. And if he doesn't do it right, then that's on him. So we have to wait and see what happens. But as things stand currently, I don't believe this is the situation to freak out about as much as some people are freaking out about it. And that's coming from somebody who just did the research and found some pretty glaring flaws that I would honestly determine to be fatal if they were out there for long enough. That's coming from me. So those are my ultimate thoughts. I wanted to keep it to that. I wanted to keep it to my initial feelings on the dude, the cons, the pros, and then my final outlook. I was hoping to keep it right around 30 minutes. We're at about 29 and a half right now. So that's about where I want to leave you guys. So I hope this was one of the more nuanced approaches to the Russ discussion that you guys have heard. That's what I always try to do. I try to keep it real. I try to call it how I see it. And I also try to leave some room for... I mean, honestly, you guys, I try to leave some room for an ego situation or a Reggie situation because unless you've been in that spot, I don't think you can speak definitively on the impact of getting into a new scenario. So even if everything points to it being a disaster, I try to leave open the possibility for it actually not being that bad and for potentially working. And I hope I was able to do that effectively here on this podcast. You guys know how much I appreciate everybody who listens. If you tuned in for a minute, five minutes, or for the full 30 minutes, I really appreciate you guys. It means a ton. Until next time, much love and go Clippers.